We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? It's my first ever win against the Celtics since I've been a Nets fan, Nicholas. It, it's been three years since the Nets have beaten the Celtics. They won tonight, 109-102. Obviously, it was a close game at the end. It shouldn't have been close. and Nets were up by as many as 27, but they pulled out the W. And that's all that really matters. That's all that matters. Seven-point win, 27-point win. It all means the same thing in the standings. And um, I wasn't confident going in. I never am generally, but against especially the Boston Celtics. You know, we've lost the last 10 against them, but... D'Angelo Russell was just simply stunning. Jared Allen was blocking everything with a heartbeat. And Rodion Skouritz continues to uh, validate his claims as one of the best rookies in this class. Yeah, it was just like a nice performance from a lot of young guys in the Nets. Also, at home, they won nine of the last ten. So starting to become a good home team, which is important if you want to be a playoff team and handling business. Like you said, coming against Boston tonight, after they blew a game in Orlando, they lost two straight previously, now three straight. It's an impressive win, even without Kyrie and Marcus Smart. We can't really care about it because we got plenty of injuries of our own. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, this team last season in its current iteration uh, made the conference finals. So, like, we're still versing a very, very capable team with a lot of talent. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Gordon Hayward, uh, Terry Rozier. All these guys are very, very good NBA players. And the fact that the Nets were able to put them on the back foot, you know, it was... Sloppy at times, but that third quarter, that franchise-altering third quarter was um, pretty insane. Yeah, 44 points, and like you mentioned, D'Angelo, I think, had 18 in that quarter. Before we get any deeper, just a quick reminder, check out the Buzz, iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But let's talk D'Lo. You know, I know a lot of people have complained about his minutes. He saw 37 minutes tonight, dropped 34 points, you know, five rebounds, seven assists, five turnovers. You know, he just had moments in that third quarter where he just looked like a pure all-star. 
Yeah, he really did. And I mean, the, it's, it's a pretty stacked sort of race out there for the guard position. But Giangelo Russell certainly made his claim for it because he was had one of the more spectacular performances of, the, of any net this season. And he was just doing it on all ends of the floor. He was nailing the threes. And he was just bringing the energy, despite the fact that, you know, when it's teams like Boston and New York and they come into our home uh, to Barclays, uh, they, they tend to overrun us in terms of the fans. D'Angelo Russell got the, the Barclays crowd on his back and um, his game, uh, I'm very much looking forward to hopefully having the play-by-play available um, so I can break it down. But it was um, one of the more complete performances we've seen from D'Angelo Russell and we seem to keep saying that. Yeah, and I really like the way he started the game. First possession of the game, gets a steal. First offensive possession, knocks down a three. And it was good off-ball movement too. And I think when he starts the game right and he has that right mental mentality, he's just such a better player. And also, I just love the arc he could put on a shot in that third quarter. There was times where he just was putting it over anybody and he was fading away, dropping back, whatever it was. You just felt like it was always going in. The Celtics are a good defensive team, a very good, an elite defensive team. But they just couldn't stop him. D'Angelo was hitting the three. He was hitting the mid-ranger. He was getting to the rack a couple of times. Um, I think that his offensive skill set is becoming a lot more complete. And I think the the change in defensive schemes that Coach Kenny and, and, and Brad Stevens also remarked that before the game are really benefiting him as well in terms of getting out in transition and also just being able to make it a little bit easy for him to, to defend because we all know that's not necessarily his, his uh, specialty. Yeah, it definitely helps him. One thing he does have is solid length and uh, quick hands. So in that zone, he's able to be a little bit better. And I thought we'll talk about it a little bit more later. But I thought it was very clever from Kenny. Soon as Brad Stevens called that first time out to come back and throw the zone at him. Because you knew the Celtics probably weren't expecting that in the first 29 seconds of the game. Uh, I think Coach Kenny, I mean, we obviously heard the, the remarks by Brad Stevens praising him before the game. But um, he's continuing to sort of validate um, himself as being a coach of the year candidate. And I think these sort of games uh, where you outclass uh, a more favoured opponent and, you know, the, the Boston Celtics to all the, the media hubbub um, surrounding them, you know, you would expect them to sort of come out and, and make a real statement, even in the absence of Kyrie Irving. But the, the, the Brooklyn Nets are ready for it. And they made a real statement. And I think Coach Kenny was a big part of that. I don't think you can... I mean, we're going to continue to probably have Coach Kenny talks throughout the season, but everything that he did tonight, you know, he made the timeouts at the right time, he called the right plays, and our guys just executed. Yeah, I mean, if you ask me, and I don't think this is a hot take, the Nets were the better coach team tonight. Not saying, you know, over the long term that Kenny's a better coach than Brad Stevens, you know, that's still to be told. But, you know, tonight they were the better coach team. Obviously, Celtics had some really sloppy offensive sets. But before we talk more about the coaches, let's get back to the players. Jared Allen, I really liked what I saw from him. You know, 19 points, 12 rebounds, five offensive, four big blocks. His presence was felt in this game. It really was. And I think um, we mentioned off wax, Nick, that I off wax that I think this was his best off uh, best rebounding game as a Brooklyn net. And you know, there was some talk before the game just talking about Jared Allen. I was interacting with a few uh, Twitter users about, you know, Jared Allen in terms of where his ceiling is um, in terms of rebounding and such. But these sort of games are going to continue to sort of uh, change his upward trajectory. You know, he's still got a ways to go on the offensive end. Um, he's looking really good in the pick and roll. And I think DeAngelo Russell is making his teammates better. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's one thing that we haven't said a lot about. Um, and and I, I wanted to make note of that because it was just something watching throughout the game. A lot of the time, you know, Spencer would drag his team along with him. You know, he'd get more out of Rodion's. But I think Rodion's would not be playing as well as he is right now 
without a guy like D'Angelo Russell. They seem to have this really good innate chemistry and they seem to really like each other. I remember before the season, uh, Rodion's was saying that, you know, D'Angelo came over to his house and they were hanging out and he really respected that. So uh, the leadership from D'Angelo is something we've remarked at, but he's also making his teammates better. And that concludes Jared Allen too. Yeah, and it feels like almost he's empowering Jared Allen, sometimes giving the ball a little bit higher in the pick and roll and letting him make a play. And like you said, I'm a big you know advocate of if you're going to be a really good player in this league, you need to make your teammates better. And D'Angelo Russell is doing that. Also, he's putting a lot of pressure on the defense where it's not something you see every single quarter, but hitting those backdoor cuts. We saw it a lot with Karis LeVert. We're seeing a lot with Rodeons. We're seeing with Joe Harris. Just keeping the defense honest and making them defend you from every angle. And he has... The passing game, he had one or two super slick passes today. One of those passes to Jared Allen, I think it was in the third quarter, was like an underhand like sidearm pass. That was just an elite pass. And then there was one to Joe Harris as well. It feels like he has at least one or two a game. And, you know, he's becoming a guy that you see consistently on, you know, the the highlight reels and NBA TV and such. But um, we could do an entire podcast about D'Angelo Russell's game. But, you know, Jared Allen, Rodion Skrull, it's also awesome, like you mentioned, Nick. And, yeah, four blocks, I think. Jared Allen, uh, for me, I'm I'm still a little bit iffy on his physicality, and I think he just doesn't know how big he is and how much it can affect it. If he showed the same aggression that he does with his dunking as he did in terms of just being able to just run through a body or just draw contact, um, he could learn maybe a thing or two from a guy like Damari Carroll, who, again, uh, I think tied a career high in, in 13 rebounds tonight. He was very good. 14 rebounds for Damari, at least via NBA.com. So, yeah, Damari, I think his presence is definitely fed out there. Obviously, not a great shooting night. Two of 15. It didn't even really feel like he missed that many shots, but he wasn't also getting some of those same calls he's used to. But just a touch back to D'Angelo. I know we talked about him a lot already. Now it's starting to feel like he's, you know, we in the preseason, we did our season preview of him and we we're kind of skeptical as we were going through the first few months of the season. He wasn't necessarily living up to the hype we gave him. Now I'm feeling very confident about the takes we had earlier late in the summer. Yeah, my hot take marathon pace. Where did I put that one out? In August. Yeah. Even earlier early than my Spencer Dinwiddie pace. Um, that'll make the 2019 All-Star game. Now, I've been doing a little bit of research, Nick. I think he has to cut, he's going to have a tough sort of uh, tough, tough sort of claim for it because, you know, you've got Kyrie, Kemba, and Oladipo. They're, they're, they're set in stone. And then Simmons and Lowry probably more than likely get in. And, and then, then Wade might get the fan vote, which is going to kind of screw everything up. But obviously, there's the 50% from players and, and media. So I don't think Wade gets in by that sort of thing. Uh, but also, I think it's going to come down to probably Russell or Beal. Right now, I'd have Bradley Beal ahead of him. He's been sensational. But that's not to say that if D'Angelo Russell over the next month or so doesn't continue his claims and, and the Nets continue to win games and he can't get in there. And, you know, we always see an injury or two as well. So the fact that he's in the conversation, uh, like we sort of mentioned in our season preview, shows that, you know, he's going to be, he's having a great season and he's only getting better. Um, and it's just wonderful to watch, see this guy blossom before our eyes. Um, CC Magic Johnson, get him on the DMs. <laughs> yeah, and he's also helping his bank account. But like you said, you know, I think if the Nets get up to that six seed, it's going to be hard not to give them at least one All Star. Yeah, I mean, you have to. You, you generally reward the better teams. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see the fact that, like, you know, a team like the Pacers and the Sixers, these guys are, are very good. And, like, you know, even Boston would probably only have one All Star, Toronto probably two, um, and Milwaukee only probably one with Giannis. So, it's going to be interesting to see there's a lot of talent in the Eastern Conference. It gets pretty bare towards the sort of lesser likes. But a guy like D'Angelo Russell is only getting better, whereas some guys are stagnating. Um, so I think that works in his favor. But um, I think Pooch and some others also put him in the most improved um, award race. So to have 
know, D'Angelo sub in for his guy Spencer Dimwitty in a way uh, is beneficial. But I think um, I wouldn't have him that high in that sort of race because I think Pascal Siakam almost has that one down pat. And De'Aaron Fox too. I think they're similar for me. I, I'm I'm not sure why. I think the reason why I've taken a little bit away from De'Aaron Fox to sort of change tack a little bit is the fact that he's a second-year player and he's been empowered more by this new offense, whereas D'Angelo has just incrementally gotten better and produced more with the same sort of things happening. Yes, he's got better teammates around him, but he's just playing better basketball and is improving overall. Uh, D'Aaron, we sort of expected this rise. And I think from from first to second year players, it's a lot easier to see a massive jump. But from like third to fourth year players, it's a lot trickier to sort of see that sort of mark. So, and, you know, we saw Giannis win it in in that sort of same range. So for me, I would have probably D'Angelo on the same sort of level, but De'Aaron Fox is certainly up there as well. Um, yeah, and I think the fun. counter argument, not saying I agree with it, but someone might be like, you know, D'Angelo could have done this last year. He was just injured. And also, I think we just have to throw out uh, Justice Winslow in there, too, because he's been really solid, but he has to do it a little bit longer. Obviously, we're getting ahead of ourselves talking about awards. But uh, back to the Nets, you know, we said Jared Allen, very good game, but also Rodion's, like you brought up. Uh, 19 points, 7-11 from the field. He just did everything right in the offense. It just like he didn't force anything. He had a couple really nice plays, those long strides to the rim. Just another great performance from the young kid. The kid's special, man. The kid is super special. We're talking about a 23-year-old in D'Angelo Russell, or 22, I can't remember if he's 22 or 23. 23, I think. 23, a 20-year-old in Jared Allen and a 20-year-old in Rodion's Kouritz as being the fulcrum of this net success. It's exciting times ahead. And, and in terms of Rodion's game, you know, he's just got so many tangible qualities that benefit the game. He shows good energy. He, he still and transition sort of plays become a signature like you mentioned, Nick. His defensive energy was guarding Jason Tatum at times. And he's just he's just so athletic in, in terms of the fact that we've sort of seen him live and we've seen it in person. It was pretty awesome. But even on TV, you just see how, how, how long he is, how quick he is. Um, it, it's Rodion for me right now is... Maybe a top five in terms of the rookie year candidacy because, um, I mean, he hasn't been out there for as many games as guys like on the lesser sort of the rest, like Wendell Carter and, and Trey Young, those sort of guys. But Rodion's is impacting on a winning team, which I think um, it should validate his claims a little bit more than those other guys. Yeah, I think he has a real shot at making rookie all first team, I, at least if he gets the respect. And you mentioned the athleticism. I think it's kind of sneaky because necessarily people think international players, they don't think it's more of a fundamental game, but he comes out there with the quickness and the speed and that length in there. It's just really fun to watch. He's just an exciting player, and he's a guy you like to have on your team. And you just, like we sort of said, in terms of when you see those sort of one plays where he's just still in the slam or or the block or, or any of it's sort of, feeds the energy and you see the guys like Theo Pinson on the bench and Alan Williams dancing. Um, this team as a collective is one of the best in the NBA right now. Like I mentioned with the Clippers and the Pacers and such, but um, if Brodeon keeps performing the way he is, you know, I think I'm going to have to do three player breakdowns and I'm um, excited to sort of do it. Yeah. You Jack, we need to send you some Red Bulls. Uh, at least I, they <laughs> have them in Australia, right? <laughs> yes, we do. We do. We've got yeah, to get, get you a couple of those because uh, you're going to have a long night. You got D'Angelo, who's going to have a long thread. You got oh, Jared man. Allen, probably a long thread. Rodion's might be a little bit quicker. So, but uh, still a lot of stuff. And another interesting thing too was Kenny only played eight players tonight. Obviously there was injuries, but he didn't elect to use Allen Williams, Kenneth Reed, or Theo. Oh no, my mistake. He played nine players, but uh, Trevion Grant had zero points. And Trevion Graham, I think, is playing himself out of the rotation in terms of he's just not doing enough defensively to warrant the fact that he is an absolute liability offensively. Um, we're sort of excited about the fact that Rodney Hollis-Jefferson could be returning tonight. 
Um, hopefully that's happening against Houston. But if Rondé comes back, he immediately takes those minutes away from Trevion. And uh, despite the fact that he does one or two good things a game, I think Rondé might clog the offense a little bit, but he still does enough on both ends of the floor to be able to usurp a guy like Trevion Graham, who has, has not been playing that well of late, despite the fact that we've seen him live and he's been good-ish. Um, I, I just don't think in terms of playing winning basketball, I don't think Trevion is impacting enough on that end of the floor. He's still finding his feet, and we'll give him another 10, 15 games or whatever, but at least we're going to start to get that depth back a little bit. He's almost like Alan Crabb in a sense, but Alan Crabb has this sort of history behind him that we know he's such a great three-point shooter, and I think it's more important to the next offensive schemes than to have him out there than a guy like Trevion who sort of clogs up the floor on different ends. Yeah, and you mentioned Rondé. At this point, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but Rondé's probably shooting a higher percentage from three right now. It almost would have made sense to leave Trevion in the, with the Long Island Nets for a little bit longer to get a shot going and get some of his movements back because he just doesn't look fully comfortable out there. Defensively, he's done a couple of okay things, but just not enough. And like you said, getting some of those players back. Alan Crabb, we haven't even talked about him much over the last month, but it looks like we could see him over the next week or two, which would be a nice boost to the offense because at times the offense did rely on D'Angelo a lot. And we mentioned Spencer doing what he's still been struggling only eight points three of six you know he did have some nice passes and some nice you know motions for the offense but still it's kind of a concern it is a little bit of a concern um i i think nets fans would love to have both of them performing at their best um but at least we've got both of them uh, in reserve in terms of if one guy's not performing the other one is but spencer I, we saw him attack at times i think boston i think he's the the teams are scouting for him a lot better and not letting him get to his spots. Uh, we saw that absolute dagger of a three-pointer from the freaking logo in Manhattan, um, which was one of the highlights of the game. But I, I have full faith and confidence in the fact that he is going to get out of this quote-unquote slump. Yeah, I think what he needs is just maybe a little bit of a mid-range game or a teardrop like we've seen from D'Angelo because teams are just crowding the, the paint and right in front of the rim. So he's having a little bit harder time getting to the spots he likes. Yeah, and I think if you and, and I think Kenny's empowered the guys a, a lot more to take those sort of shots. You know, we've seen D'Angelo; he makes the the mid ranger look good. Um, and I think Spencer has that acumen in him to hit shots from anywhere on the floor. So um, I, I think he'll find his footing soon enough. I, I'm I'm very confident in Spencer Dimity, but. Um, he might not be winning sixth man of the year if, if he keeps playing the way that he is. Yeah, he needs to find a way to get out of it. Obviously, there's going to be a couple more matchups. Hopefully, he can take advantage. And then, obviously, you know, this is farther down the line. But when we have Karras back, it'll have three guys who could potentially go off. And you're almost guaranteed at least one of them is going to have a big night. So that's a positive moving forward. Any other players you want to talk about, Jack, before we move on to more of the team stuff? Um, let me take a look at the box score. Big Ed um, always does his thing. You know, he's always rebounding, being that tough dude down in the paint. There's nothing really much to say except he just is consistent game in and game out. Definitely. And I think my boy Joe Harris as well, despite the turn. Pretty much the same thing. We know Joe is Joe. You know what I mean? Like, he, he might not have his best shooting game, but he still has his positive impact. Yeah, it was just the, the turnovers were a little bit frustrating. I think the turnovers overall were frustrating, but Joe still impacts when he basketball, still gets double digits uh, as a starter. And will consistently play 30 minutes plus. You know, I'd be surprised if over our last sort of 15, 20 games, Joe Harris wouldn't be up there in terms of um, leading the team in terms of minutes with a guy like D'Angelo Russell. But um, a good game all around, good team effort. And the fact that we could have some guys, you know, drag the team along um, was really, really nice. And um, the playoffs looking more and more likely game by game. And, you know, we get one up on the Boston Celtics who are right there with us as are the Miami Heat. 
Yeah. And, you know, going to this, you know, obviously it helped that Kyrie and Smart weren't there. Now we're facing Houston, an upcoming matchup, and possibly a chance to take advantage of them without Capella. But talking about the game a little bit, were were you concerned with the fourth quarter, like long term, or is that just something that's always going to happen in games? Teams are going to go on long runs when you're up big. Oh, yeah, it's generally going to happen. I think it was something like a 30 to 10 run or something along those lines. There was uh, Obviously, it's not ideal, and you'd rather just close out the game, but a team of Boston, the Boston Celtics caliber, I think, you know, you have to expect it. And they're going to come back. They've got these good guys that are a well-coached team. If that happens against a, a team like Atlanta or a team like Chicago, that's when you start to get a little bit worried. Uh, I think the offense certainly stagnated a little bit. They were looking to D'Angelo a little bit too much rather than getting into their sets. Um, but at the same time, to close it out, um, I think shows a, a level of maturity. Um, but again, you'd rather get the double-digit win. But uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's a win nonetheless. Yeah, and I think it's almost a new experience for this team. And we talked about it a little bit earlier with some of their late-game struggles. They weren't used to necessarily being up in those games and what to do. And they're not really used to being up big. You know what I mean? They're not used to having these 20-point leads against a great team like Boston. So now it's just kind of something to develop. Like you said, I think the offense got a little stagnant. One thing I think you need to stay aggressive, you know, you see Golden State. They don't really ever, like, slow down the pace when they're up big. They just keep doing their thing, and I feel like that's something the Nets can kind of learn from. Obviously not as talented as Golden State, but they're so much better, in my opinion, when they tend to push the pace a little bit and get some of those mismatches in transition. Yeah, I think they, in terms of their decision-making, just making the right pass early rather than just worrying about the clock, which seemed like time management past that sort of three to four-minute mark seemed to be like the thing. All right, let's just run down the clock to like eight seconds. And, and then we'll they put themselves in a bad position because then the other team just sends a double team and all of a sudden you have to make a hard pass or you're shooting a, a heave with two seconds on the shot clock. Exactly. I, I think the Nets, in terms of it, it's a fine balance, but it's one that this team is is going to begin to learn with these sort of games. And, you know, you take the good with the bad, but a, a win against Boston is wholly a good um, situation if you're asking me. Did you think the defense was very good tonight or was Boston just missing shots? Both. Uh, I think it was the ability to sort of throw different looks at them. You know, a guy like Jason Tatum is a very talented player. Jalen Brown, who I advocated for a trade, uh, on the OTG trade deadline marathon to the Nets um, is a very talented player, very aggressive player, which I really like about him tonight. Um, but at the same time, the Nets were just able to make them uncomfortable in a lot of different ways. You know, the Nets don't have you know high-level defensive talent like the Celtics do on both ends of the floor. Um, and But I think the Nets were just able to do enough things to just sort of disrupt the flow of Boston. You know, they're, they're not the most gifted team when it comes to individual offense. You know, they're unless you have a guy like Kyrie Irving out there. But, I mean, Jason Tatum proved that a little bit tonight. But um, when you have Al Horford slightly off his game a little bit, uh, I think that there was enough times where, the, where Brooklyn were just able to uh, make them uncomfortable. And I think that, you know, if the Brooklyn does that enough, our guys do that enough, then we're going to get some good wins against some good teams, especially coming up against uh, a very, very capable contender in the Houston Rockets. Yeah, no, I think you were spot on, Jack, when you said they disrupt the offense because that's what they do. Now the offense has to read what's going on defensively. Like we've mentioned, you know, teams are playing more zone this year, but the Nets are doing a lot, and they're switching from possession to possession sometimes. It's not like, all right, we're running zone for two minutes. We've seen them run zone for like two plays, switch back to man, and then go run zone again. Obviously, some of that is transition defense and just kind of collecting yourself, but I think it's really causing problems because the defense actually, the offense actually has to read what's going on. And it's even a couple seconds off the shot clock, which makes all the difference. Agreed. And I think it requires a, a very high level of communication. 100%. 
which I think are both ends of the floor. And in basketball more than any sport, and I think in any sport in life in general, communication is key. So I think, you know, at the in the earlier points of the season where the Nets defense would fall apart, it was because of things like switches and, and in terms of being able to make the right calls and just being able to just uh, show that level of in defensive intelligence. There were times tonight where I think, um, and this is a very minor slide, it was more early in the game, where Rodion didn't make those uh, right defenses, which I think that comes with just NBA-level intelligence and being able to not have to have a guy tell you to do the right thing, but just knowing and having that sort of NBA feel. Um, but I think that going forward, um, it, it puts us in good stead. We're not, we're not going to be a top 10, maybe not even a top 15 defensive team. But if we can just do the right things for enough plays and for the four quarters and show enough energy, then we're going to win games. Yeah, and it's about getting some of the stops down the stretch too. And like you said, Rodion's just not having that full NBA experience experience and honestly like we've talked about not necessarily having the scouting report on all these players where a lot of these guys either grew up playing each other grew up watching these other NBA players and kind of have an idea about their game where he really doesn't so that's where it's such key having veterans like Damari Carroll and Ed Davis out there kind of commuting communicating to the guys all right you need to be here let's switch right here also one thing I've noticed a little bit better later in the season is the Nets have done a good job when let's say a big gets switched on to a small they've kind of communicated like, all right, well, now Damari's going to take him real quick. It's still a mismatch, but it's not as bad as D'Lo being on Al Horford. Yeah, I saw that D'Lo on Al Horford a couple of times and Rondé, not Rondé, um, Rodion's would switch on to him a few times. And there would be a lot of times where Al would get the bucket, but at least it makes it a, a little bit harder. It requires exactly. a little more, little more energy, a little more effort. So it leaves Al Horford, you know, a little more winded on the other end of the floor. So I think the Nets are becoming a lot smarter of a team and I think that that comes uh, down to um, a lot of the things that Coach Kenny is instilling and our guys are showing real leadership on the floor. Jack, anything else you want to throw in about this game? Uh, I think as a Nets fan for the past five, six years, this was probably one of my more jubilant um, experiences. I know my dad was experiencing it with me. He could probably <laughs> attest to the fact that I was yelling quite a bit, but uh, it feels good to beat Boston, my, let me tell you that. It does. It definitely does feel good to beat Boston. It's just an emotional game. My dog definitely thinks I'm weird for clapping by myself, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to still do my thing. Uh, Jack, how confident are you going into Houston without the Rockets having Capella? Oh, I mean, I think that the Nets can do something. I think James Harden is going to be James Harden. It's going to come down to the fact that, you know, James Harden... You're going to have to get creative against him because obviously, like you said, we don't really have any of the lockdown defenders. It's going to have to be some creative type of defense to stop him or at least slow him down because he has 30 straight in a... I don't even know the amount of games right now. I think it's 17 or something along that. I think like tied That 30. is just so ridiculous. I mean, this guy is just a, a walking cheat code. And um, if you're not enjoying him, then you don't enjoy basketball. But yeah, I think going against them, I, I give the Nets a chance. I think last season, you know, we really struggled against them because they got like Chris Paul, Clint Capella, you know, and but now it's all on James Harden's back. And he has done that and he has proven that he can do that. But I think if the Nets, you know, do their team thing and just get guys chipping in with 10, 15 points here and there, get a star performance from one of our guys, I think that can give us with a really good shot, especially with the fact that, you know, both teams are playing tonight. Um, and, you know, get a little bit of a rest. But I think that it should be uh, pretty close and I think it should be a hard-fought game. And 
Um, I think we can make things difficult for a, a pretty informed team in the Houston Rockets. Yeah, I think this is a really good opportunity for Spencer to step up too. I just feel like there's no Clint, no Clint Capella, not a great rim protection that team. Their defense isn't the same as it was last season. They're not going to probably put any lockdown defenders on them, and they're banged up. I hope Spencer can kind of bounce back in this game. We can pull off the W. But, Jack, that wraps it up. As always, a pleasure. Thank everybody for listening. Check us out, iTunes, Bob Clark Radio, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Also, shout out to OTG because we're running a trade deadline marathon. Jack's got a couple trades up, Nets related, and a ton just coming every day up to the NBA trade deadline. Happy birthday, Cynthia. (laughs) Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.